Mana 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 this is Social Discasting. Welcome to Social Discasting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I am Brandon, aka Ben Turnsman. Hope you're well. My guest drives a van, is a van, and runs Van Labs. He wrote the feature film Fist Fight and is currently a writer on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Blue is his color. Please welcome Van. Welcome. Hi. Yeah. Great to be here. First question: Just how are you, and where are you? I am in Los Angeles, specifically in the Laurel Canyon area here in my house. And I'm doing okay. You know, this is not a great situation, but I'm handling it all right, I think. It's been real up and down, uh, at least internally for me. But right now I'm feeling pretty good. Do you you find that you're pretty good day to day or does it just depend on how it's going? I know for me, it just hits me sometimes in waves. It's just so surreal. How is that for you? Uh, Yeah, no, it comes and goes like my experience with it shifts. For example, on Sunday, I was out for a walk and I saw a group of people. It was uh, four women walking who were all friends and two of them had masks that they were wearing around their necks and then two didn't have masks. And it seemed like the people with the masks were not wearing them to make the people who didn't have the masks feel better. And the whole situation struck me as like absurd and sort of infuriating. And it's sort of like I felt like if these people didn't have masks at all it would have been a less confusing encounter and so like I was doing really well up until that moment and then that was very triggering for me because it just was like there was a sort of absurdity to it that kind of made the whole complicated reality of the entire thing we're going through come into focus in a uh, you know the sort of frightening and scary way that it does and that came out in me as anger I like wanted to yell at these women yeah so I just ended up turning around and just walking back home and so I'd had a real good week up until then though with it so it's kind of like it'll be going well and then something might uh, sort of be triggering. I know exactly what you mean. Like, I feel like I get momentum as much as I guess as one can in this situation. And then it just feels like I just hit a wall. And it could be a situation like that. Like the other day I was driving. I'm, I'm in Arkansas. So things are starting to open back up. They did a couple weeks ago, primarily for the tattoo parlors and hair salons, just these small businesses. And now they're starting to open up more and more. And I was just driving and I saw more and more people out. And I saw maybe one mask, period. Let alone, you know, somebody who's even entertaining the idea of it with it around their neck and I was both bewildered and just so angry and that just set me down a little bit of a uh, a spiral but I kind of got back out of it to try to realize that there everybody's gonna be like that and just stay away from them and it's really tough so I can't imagine seeing that I would have just had to like you said separate from that so you in California they just now it said three more months of this is that correct under quarantine um that's actually not entirely correct there, okay that, that was a, a person who was potentially misquoted and has since backpedaled on it that means said, I think it will certainly be three more months of something like this. I think it's going to be quite a while until things are anything remotely like normal. A big thing for my immediate community in Los Angeles is this question of when will film and television production start up again. Mm-hmm. That's sort of a business we have here that they have some other places, but it, it's, you know, a little bit of its own specialized beast. And there's a lot of varying opinions on that. I think commercial production is trying to get started as much as possible, as soon as possible, because that's sort of more of a ruthless part of the film and television business, mm-hmm. for lack of a better way of putting it. And so a big thing that's being talked about now is like, what month does that happen here? Some people are saying September. Some people are saying not till January. It's like, that's a thing that people are oddly obsessed with here that feels so frivolous a little bit to be completely honest. But yeah, I mean, California has been a relatively locked down place. I think that the lockdown was the right decision. And so I'm happy to be living in a place where there was a sort of a strong 
order early on. Yeah. It's funny, like so much these days, there's been this growing sense that the world is more connected than ever. Everyone accesses sort of the same internet to a certain extent. And this idea of like where you live, it's sort of all things are equalized in a certain sense. And it suddenly became very important where you lived and where you didn't live in America. It's really, it's fascinating. Because as far as I can tell, the very American approach that we've kind of taken to this is it's just going to be, there's going to be a million sets of rules and everyone's going to figure it out on their own. And so the result of that is that your geography becomes very important. Yeah, it is the great geographical democratizer that is the internet really kind of went back with this happening. And I know for me, certainly compared with Los Angeles and other big cities, that the population density is so much less. And obviously there are considerations for that. It's still frightening and as those feels premature that they're starting to open things back up. But it's definitely far different of a picture than, say, Los Angeles or Chicago or New York, where thankfully they are seemingly very judiciously locking it down. I know for you that must be heartening to see that because although it may make sense, it doesn't mean they necessarily have to do what's right. Things aren't perfect over here. Far from it. And also... You know, I live in a neighborhood that was sort of a hippie epicenter in the like late 60s and early 70s. Mm-hmm. And I, I always have the feeling that it's a kind of a place where a lot of people don't vaccinate their kids. Interesting. And I <laughs> see a lot of non-compliance to the legal mask order for Los Angeles in my neighborhood. I feel like, you know, as much as no masks and open up America has a reputation as a big right wing movement, yeah. there's a whole sort of don't vaccinate your kids, vaccines cause autism type thing in the in the sort of Hollywood left wing groups that like I'm seeing around Los Angeles. Yeah. That's such an interesting dichotomy that just get yeah, to your point of like you're used to a certain sect of people or kind of general demographics of the idea that yeah, you probably get the kind of the vibes or the inklings of, oh, okay, that is this situation. You know, it's weird because the anti-vaxxer situation was a whole thing obviously before this, but it takes on so many different seemingly like meanings or a different level of like gravity considering what we're going through right now. Do you think though, I don't know if you've kind of driven around or been out to a certain degree, but do you think otherwise outside of maybe your neighborhood that you've seen people more judiciously adhere to everything going on? I think it's more so than some other parts of the country. But like when I drive around, people don't know what six feet is. Yeah, There's a lot of unmasked people. It's gotten better. You know, it's funny. I started wearing a mask early and I remember when I was first wearing a mask, I would get looks like what is wrong with this guy with this mask on. Eventually then a few weeks later, I went out without a mask because I'd forgotten it and I got looks like what is this guy doing not wearing a mask (laughs) yeah so I sympathize I think with the non-mask wearers in the sense that I think the messaging on masks has been really confusing I think that it did feel like it was changing you know I think part of the reaction I got initially was that that was back at the time when it was like don't wear masks they're only for doctors they only work if a doctor wears one yeah and I think that you know it was like how dare you wear a mask it's sort of a sense so I don't know it's changing a lot and I think it's hard for everyone to keep up the leadership I think has been pretty good in California but even with that it's hard to get a message to anybody about anything. Absolutely. And, you know, I know some states too where so many different levels within each state are saying like entirely different things. And it's just like, what do you do? All you want to do is survive and be in compliance with what the states are saying. And there are certain situations where they're not doing themselves any favors. And it's already so confusing of a situation and so scary. So the fact that, yeah, you'd be, to- be told different things, that's that's so tough. 
When you were talking about that you were kind of an early adopter with the mask, I know with Mitch.Pizza, you created that, that's right? Uh, yes. That was an early version of a thing that more and more celebrities are doing in a way to seemingly, I guess, what would you call it, like kind of control their own narrative? Is that what you would think? Yeah, you know, I can say one of the things I learned from doing Mitch.Pizza is as the administrator of it, I was able to see all the texts that went to Mitch. And something that I noticed is there's a different dynamic that's created when the message that you send to someone one that you don't know isn't public. Interesting. Because a lot of times you'll see on social media, someone will engage with a person and either they will really just be trolling them or sometimes they're trying to prove some sort of point to other people by interacting with the person that maybe it's not even bad for the person, but it's not even about the person. And what happened by making the messages be direct to Mitch is I noticed that the quality of the messages increased. It was a, a positive thing. And when Mitch would reply to the messages, he would share those replies publicly, but because he could pick and choose which ones he replied to, he was able to sort of ignore any like really negative ones or ones that were like maybe an inappropriate joke or a bit. And the person would still get to show that to Mitch and kind of have the pleasure that they were able to do that. But because other people didn't get to participate in that, it kind of curbed that and kept that to a manageable level. That's really interesting and also, frankly, refreshing because to your point, yeah, it does feel like, especially in a situation like Twitter, you can, in theory, get someone's attention, but there's no telling. So you're going to maybe do something to stand out, whether that's positive or negative or just troll. Does that make you think that it's a cool thing to do, a viable thing, or was it more kind of just seeing how it would go and experimenting? You know, I did it experimentally and as kind of a joke, but I think there's definitely something to the current social media systems and internet communication systems are like all fundamentally broken. And so I think there's room to kind of explore and think of new ways of communicating that aren't like the two ways right now are basically completely private communication and completely public communication. And I think that there's a middle ground where, you know, things like Instagram stories that expire after a day and things are starting to pop up that it's maybe replicate more like actual human interaction in the real world mm -hmm. in a good way where like, you know, if you see someone at a party and you're having a conversation with them other people maybe could hear what you're saying but they aren't necessarily listening but that has an effect on the way your conversation goes and that maybe does so in a good way or maybe in a bad way but it makes it different than the sort of internet where everyone is listening to everything or no one is listening to anything and it's just private absolutely you had said that you kind of did it as a joke but you're somebody who i see as being very i guess just tuned in in general but more so maybe just out of interest tuned in technologically is what is it about that is it having a project or curiosity both I would say curiosity is a part of it. Also, you know, as a kid, I was really into computers and technology and things like that. And I actually went to college to be an engineer. Oh, wow. Okay. But I quit engineering the first day and switched <laughs> to liberal arts. Um, and I ended up getting a film studies and economics double major. What made you want to change? What made you realize that? I think what it was is I was pursuing it because I felt like I would be good at it, not because I wanted to do it. Then I ended up getting interested in writing and getting interested in filmmaking. And after doing that for a while, I started being drawn back to some of my earlier interests with a sort of a different eye towards them, having gone through like the process of finding my creative voice and mm -hmm. taking on projects of a more creative nature. I, I suddenly was like, oh, I can take that interest that I had and actually have something I want to do with it. 
it now. Have you been doing more of that with more time at home with everything going on? Is there anything else you've been just kind of doing out of pleasure or what? First, I would say like month or six weeks of this, I was doing some things like that and I restored a Mac Classic 2 computer, which is like a computer from like 1990 and it did some stuff like that. But I actually, I'm very lucky in this regard, but I have been doing a lot of writing work. So I'm actually very busy and employed right now. I think I'm one of the only people working in Los Angeles County, but I am writing for Brooklyn Nine-Nine right now. I'm also doing a rewrite on comedy movie script, and I'm starting new comedy movie script that was a pitch that I sold to Universal before the pandemic started. Oh, wow. Okay. That now finally I'm starting on uh, in the middle of this. So I literally have three jobs right now. 40% of people are unemployed. So it's an embarrassment of riches, but also I am very busy. How has the virtual writing room experience been for you? In some ways, I like it more than the in-person writing room. And in some ways, it's a lot worse. It's surprisingly tiring, just like staring at the screen for long periods of time. And also just like all the little faces on one, like and your eyes are moving around between them. That's information overload, it feels like. That's very tiring. But at the same time, I think we've actually been a little more focused in some ways. And so we've been maybe a little bit more efficient. Also, it is more convenient to not have to drive to work. It just is. Sure. It also drives you insane to never leave the house. But the place where I would park to go to work for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the CBS Radford production lot, the way the parking worked is there would be cones put in all the spaces. And every day when you get there, you'd have to stop the car, get out of the car, and move the cone. <laughs> but the way the parking garage was, it's like people drive around the corners really fast, and it's like narrow. And so like you would always feel like when you got out of your car to move the cone, someone was for sure going to rear-end you. Dear God. Um, and there would just sort of be near near misses all the time. And this was every morning you'd have to do this. And the problem was because they also film like The Talk, which is like a, The View knockoff on CBS yeah. and some other shows with studio audiences. And so they have to like bring those studio audiences in and they'll just park in people's parking spots. And so I understand why they did it and all. So there are all these little things about working in an office that can just be annoying and that I don't have to deal with any of them. Sure. But the downside is like I feel like a Howard Hughes-esque lunatic who never leaves <laughs> uh, the room. Hopefully at least your toilet works. I've been using the milk bottles. <laughs> That's good. I talked to, to Evan. He just mentioned, too, that part of the nature of the writing room is that you can do a lot of kind of waste time and BS some. So I would imagine there's been a precipitous drop off of that for you with this situation. Is that right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's good, I imagine, um, from an efficiency standpoint? or Well, yes and no. Okay. The problem is writing is the sort of work where some of it happens while you're talking and physically doing it, but also some of it happens in that fallow time in between. Gotcha. And like sometimes it just, and I don't know why, and I think no one knows why, and it's just part of how human brains work. But sometimes it's just good to talk about something and then not talk about it for 10 minutes and talk about it again if you're trying to figure it out. Absolutely. The problem is you can just kind of sit there in a room and not say anything for a few minutes or then start goofing off or do something else. And it's very natural. On a video call, it's not natural at all. And so like there'll be these awkward silences or you'll just kind of like power through painfully between the first time you talk about something and getting to the cracking it later. So I don't know that I actually do miss that. And I 
I think that that is a helpful thing. Something that I definitely miss is, for example, we have some new writers on the show this year that didn't work on it before. And these are now people who I work with who have never met in person. And in a past season, when I was a new writer myself or when other new writers joined the show, like you would see that person in the kitchen or in a hallway or when you get into work in the morning, you both get in early one day. And that's the time you would really get to know that person outside of just working with them. And being in the Zoom rooms with everyone, you go into the Zoom room when it's time to start work and you leave the Zoom room when it's done. And so that time where you're packing up your bag and asking what they're going to do that weekend, etc., that's not a time you spend with that person. So yeah. it has been harder to get to know my uh, new coworkers and, you know, we getting to know each other in the room and stuff. So that is also something that, you know, wasting time, quote unquote, in the room, it helps team build and stuff. That makes complete sense in terms of developing any sort of shorthand or like any other situation in any other environment with any other coworker. Is there anything that you've learned from all this? Any tips, anything that helps you or you think can help other people? I've been meditating and that's really been helpful. I started doing mindfulness meditation like two and a half years ago and I feel really lucky that I started it then. I think it's a really hard skill to try and pick up now potentially, but I'm really glad to already have it. It helps me clear my head. It helps me calm down. It helps me sort of refocus my energy. So yeah, that's something I've been doing that's helping and I would recommend it for people. Do you use an application at all or is it just something that you've learned? No, I, I just kind of sit there and do it. I'll set a timer sometimes. But I, I started taking meditation classes through a program that UCLA offers in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I took a few of those classes and I really started to like it. And But w- with those, we would do, you know, there's sometimes would be guided by the instructor, but we would also do a lot of just completely silent meditation with no guiding or anything like that. And that, that ended up being what I liked more. Yeah, I can imagine kind of having that that infrastructure in place, something kind of center yourself, so to speak, goes a long way. I did want to ask you about, just to kind of go back just a second, have you thought about or do you think you kind of have an idea where the kind of the future of writer's rooms may be now that this new element has been introduced? Do you think that's going to be the way it is or a form of that or, or what do you think? It's interesting. I think it'll go back to basically exactly how it was as soon as that can be that way. But I think mm-hmm. other parts of the process, I think you're going to see more video calling and things. But I think the room itself will go back to existing. You know, there have been a few. I think there was a 30 Rock writer who they wrote 30 Rock in New York who lived in L.A. and video called in Mm -hmm. to do it. And that's the only time I've ever heard of that. And I think it is possible now that that is something that there could be more of a potential appetite for ever. Um, I think it would still largely be the exception, but it's basically something I'd only ever heard of happening once. Um, I think there's a possibility that there's a thing called a mini room. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like for a TV show that the ne- oftentimes the network or studio making it isn't certain that they want to move forward with it, but they are also, they want to do more than just uh, have a pilot script or something like that. And so they'll get a smaller group of writers together for a few weeks uh, to write like a few episodes of what the show would be. Mm-hmm. And I could see things like that potentially moving to something like a virtual thing, but I think it, I, I suspect it will go back to, to being in person. And one of the reasons is, you know, like, for example, on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they're often shooting the show while we're writing it. And they're literally shooting it several yards away on the sound stages. Mm-hmm. And the showrunner will be in the writer's room with us. He will then go to set. He'll then go over to editorial, which is in another building. And so there are like, you know, there's a there's a physical place that 
you need to be to do some of it, the set where it's made. And the writer's room is often located nearby so that someone can jump between the two of those things. And while I suppose the showrunner could go physically to the set and then video conference with the writers, I just, I anticipate that the result of this will be not stay in remote work. I do think though, you know, there's a big part of writing, which is pitching and meeting. Oftentimes when you do a pitch, it'll end up requiring, you know, a dozen in-person meetings to move towards the actual in-person meeting that was trying to be had the quote-unquote pitch okay. and i do think some more of that will move to video calls as it was now sometimes that stuff would happen on the phone and it's just like so much worse to do it on the phone than to do it in person that people would want to do it in person and if you wanted to try and do a video call it just was like impossible to try and get anyone to ever set it up um, yeah. because the technology barrier was just too high for people but now everyone has like one or two pro everyone's used zoom or everyone's used you know one or whatever these other things are and so i do think you will see more of that more like pitching and development type things happen but i think the actual work of writing tv will go back to being in rooms where everybody has to sit together and breathe the same air no i mean that makes complete sense especially to your point of it's such an important part to be there both from a kind of commiseration and writing standpoint but yeah so is it that you said you're writing while they're filming or is it rewriting right how far ahead do you write previous to them filming that episode does that make sense yeah so different shows work different ways but basically the way it'll work is we'll start the writer's room and i should say this year's going to almost definitely be completely different because we'll probably finish writing the scripts before we start shooting any of them because of the current national crisis we're in but we'll start a few weeks out before filming starts and we'll start figuring out what the season is and larger things like that and start figuring out what the episodes are and when they're going to come and then we'll start writing episodes and we'll have written like episodes one two and three or so or something like that when the show will start filming and the cast will come and they'll do the table read for episode one and then the idea is episode one will film the week after the table read and so that week while we're writing episode four five and six we're rewriting episode one in preparation for it to shoot that next week. Okay. And then when episode one is shooting, some writers, usually the writer who was the writer in name on that episode, will go to set to supervise what's going on in the filming while the other writers are back in the writer's room moving forward on new episodes that will film a few weeks later and then rewriting the episode that's going to film the following week. Uh, different shows work different ways, but our yeah. show will basically run two rooms at once, two separate writing rooms. It's all the same people and they'll, you know, we'll mix and match between them every other day or so. But with one one rewriting the episode that is about to shoot and the other working on the episodes that are a few weeks out. You're spinning a lot of plates throughout the season and throughout the writing process. Now, there are shows that write the whole thing completely before mm -hmm. production starts and almost none of the writing is is happening you know writers will still go to set when they shoot and they'll make changes you know right before and so on and so forth but it won't be as all together like that necessarily. That's fascinating. Anything you want to plug? Anything you want to inform people about before we wrap it up? You know, I wish I had a plug. I don't have a plug right now. I, follow me on Twitter at Van the Brand. It's my only plug. Okay. For me, at Inquisitive Dick for my main, at S Discasting for the actual show. Otherwise, there's no nailing this. We don't know what we're doing. We're just doing the best we can. Be safe. Be well. Thank you for listening. And goodbye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>